From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and making us part of your day. Well, coming up, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will be in D.C. tomorrow to meet with senators. He will attend an all-senators meeting hosted by Senator Schumer and McConnell. He will also meet with House Speaker Mike Johnson. Ukraine is just a stepping stone for Russia, a way to act like that old empire that died in 1989 and to challenge the lead of freedom wherever the Russia Tsar likes. Putin must lose. That was President Zelensky earlier today at the National Defense University in D.C. The key to resolving the legislative impasse over additional funding to Ukraine is, quite frankly, not personal pleas from the Ukrainian president, but practical policy steps by President Joe Biden to secure the U.S. southern border. When it comes to keeping America safe, border security is not a sideshow. It's ground zero. Senate Republicans have no more spare time to explain this basic reality. We cannot convince anyone who doesn't want to acknowledge the glaring facts on the ground. The Senate has to act. That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. We'll get more on this topic in just a moment from Kansas Senator Roger Marshall. Also on the congressional agenda this week, the House is scheduled to vote on proceeding with the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. Is the mounting evidence, including the latest indictment of Hunter Biden, changing the mind of Republicans who were reluctant to approve the inquiry? We'll talk with North Carolina Congressman Dr. Greg Murphy, a House Ways and Means Committee member. Few congressional hearings have ignited outrage like the one the House Education and Workforce Committee held on anti-Semitism last week. Now, it wasn't the topic that was so explosive as the revealing statements made by the presidents of Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and MIT. We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. Really, she should have said some some views, some expression. That was Harvard President Claudine Gay last week before the House committee. The president of Penn resigned over the weekend and pressure is building on the others. The, the question that we're going to look at today is, did the war in Gaza spark this unprecedented wave of anti-Semitism on college campuses here in the U.S., or did it expose it? Ira Stoll, founder and editor of the Future of Capitalism joins us for that conversation. Also, on the congressional to-do list this week, Congress is trying to finalize the National Defense Authorization Act, but several high hurdles are standing in the way. The current language removes most of the provisions added by the House back in July to restore the status quo to the military when it comes to the left's radical social agenda. A lot of these social policies were pushed unilaterally by the Biden administration. Well, the subtractions include the provision that would get taxpayers out of facilitating abortions in the military. But what is fostering the strongest opposition to the bill is a provision that extends the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, which has allowed the government to spy literally on millions of Americans. So what is FISA for? How has it been misused and can it be fixed? 
Ken Klukowski, former senior counsel in the Civil Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, former White House attorney and Breitbart News senior legal contributor, will join us to explore those questions and more. Our word for today comes from 1 John 1. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And we must realize and acknowledge that man's default position is actually darkness. As John actually writes in his gospel account over in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing Practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. But we can come out of the darkness and into the light by confessing our sins, as John makes clear in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is how we dwell in the light. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Negotiations continue in the Senate for an agreement that provides aid to Ukraine in addition to adding security restrictions to uh, deal with the Biden administration's wide open southern border. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is scheduled to address senators in Washington tomorrow in a plea for additional aid. But with the Christmas recess scheduled to begin on Friday and Democrats refusing to, to budge on the border, could Senate negotiations run out of time. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Budget Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Senator Marshall, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Tony, it's great to see you. We've got some some challenges up here in D.C. And the clock is ticking. Are we going to make it? Well, I I don't think so. I think that Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden have no intention of securing our border. That's what their actions would show me. With some very simple policy changes, they could slow down this this pouring across the border. Policy changes alone would probably turn around three-fourths of the people we're seeing cross our border illegally. Joe Biden could have done that yesterday, but he's not going to crater at this point in time. He's not going to give in because he's afraid of his of his immigration uh, policies. He's afraid of those people that support uh, immigration. But to me, this is a national security issue, and it really comes down to securing the border. We're not going to even talk about Ukraine, funding for Ukraine, until we secure our own border. It's that simple. So tomorrow there's going to be a meeting with all of the senators and uh, President Zelensky. Was this scheduled, or is this kind of a last-minute plea? Did the Biden administration tell him he needed to come to Washington to make a plea, a pitch for this money? Well, he's being invited here by Joe Biden to come do the president's bidding. Um, he was supposed to meet with us last week via Zoom, uh, and that went down. I think that he knew he was going to get some tough questions from us, but we don't need another preaching message. We, there's everything that can be said about Ukraine has been said. Not everybody said it, but everything has been said. Um, look, I feel for the people of Ukraine, but I think that that's a separate topic. I'm happy to have that debate, the vote on that, but the president is wrong to put funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine, and securing the border in one package. And I, again, I just don't see us funding Ukraine until we secure our own border. It's the border, it's the border, it's the border, and the president just refuses to, to acknowledge that. I, I don't see myself even going to this meeting tomorrow. 
I think going to this meeting tomorrow is disrespectful to the hundreds of thousands of American families who've lost lost their children, their brothers, their sisters to fentanyl poisoning. Until we secure our own border, until we get our own house in order, I'm not willing to negotiate on further Ukraine funding. You mentioned the how this has all been lumped together with the funding for Israel. I think it was 39 days ago the House sent over uh, funding, a funding mechanism for Israel for the uh, roughly $14 billion in military aid to them. But that has gone nowhere in the Senate. Nothing's been done with it. Right, Tony. So we've brought that bill to the floor, to the Senate floor now four times. We've given the senators, the Democrat senators, four times to pass that bill, and they voted it down every time. Um, and again, I think that's because in, in reality, they are pro-Palestine. They are pro-Iran. They are pro uh, everything that's not American, right? They're glo- they become globalists for all practical purposes. You cannot be pro-Israel and pro-Iran. Um, so they've, they've, sh- they've shot it down four times, and I bet we're going to give them another chance this week to vote on it as well. So, Senator, I, w- I want to turn a little more closely to the, the border, which is, I mean, is intertwined with Ukraine funding, and rightfully so, because how can we be interested in helping another country secure its national security and we're not taking care of our own? This has reached a new level as we've we've re- we, we've set new records of people coming across this border. I mean, is there any end in sight? You know, there's not. And I, Tony, I'm reminding you of the scripture here that you know don't try to take the splinter out of someone else's eye until you fix the log in your own eye. And it's the the immigration situation, the illegal crossing is actually getting worse. Ten thousand people a day, eleven, twelve thousand people a day, to the tune of ten million illegal crossings under Joe Biden. And that includes 1.7 million gotaways, people who have no idea where they are. FBI Director Ray was on Capitol Hill just last week warning us that all the, all the warning lights are all blinking red at this time. He's never seen every category all blinking red for fear that something could, be, something could happen right now. So I, I do think that this has reached a, a critical moment, a critical mass, if you will. Uh, and that's why we put this as the top priority for Republicans right now is to secure our border. So just to be clear, Senator Marshall, n- no movement that we're seeing from the Biden administration or from Democrats being willing to accept reasonable steps to ensure that our southern border is secure so that we don't have terrorists coming across our border trying to do what happened in Israel on October the 7th happened here. Just the opposite. Actually, if you listen to Joe Biden closely, what he wants to do is put into place processes that's going to promote more people crossing the border illegally. He wants more asylum judges. He wants it easier to claim asylum. He wants more parole. He's already paroled 1.5 million people into our nation already. Uh, So he actually wants to have more people crossing the border illegally. I don't see any movement. I I just don't think that this is going to get get done. And and this is probably a a once-in-a-generation opportunity. If Joe Biden really wants this funding for Ukraine, then he's going to have to give us border security. And he seems unwilling to do that. I will say that I I see a resoluteness among Republican senators that across the board, you know, I know there's always a a group of you that are very staunch in fighting for family issues, fighting for the Constitution, but others will kind of blow with the wind. But it, it appears that the Republicans are standing firm as a block in the Senate. 
You know, I, I do think we are. So all 49 of us voted this down last week. Um, Leader McConnell is, is leading the charge on this. He said it every day. I believe he said every day that no Ukraine funding until we secure the border, that securing the border is the priority. It's the border, the border, it's the border. Uh, final question for you, Senator Roger Marshall. What should we be anticipating between now and Thursday? I think a lot of talk, a lot of rhetoric. I just don't see anything moving up here right now. Maybe we'll get the NDAA done, but I just don't see any movement here. I don't think the real negotiation on the border in Ukraine starts until we go home, but we'll see. All right, Senator Roger Marshall, if I don't see you before, Merry Christmas. Always great to uh, see you and appreciate your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thank you, Tony. Merry Christmas to your family and to all your listeners. Senator Roger Marshall of uh, Kansas. All right, uh, there's, I think, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of homework in this edition of Washington Watch. So go ahead and if you don't already have the Capitol switchboard number on your speed dial or on your uh, contact list on your phone, here it is, 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. Or you can go to TonyPerkins.com under the... Uh, resources for today's program. We've got some links there for you as well that you can contact your senators. But you need to contact your senators and tell them to hold firm. No border security. If we can't secure our own country, how can we help someone else secure theirs? And so I am, uh, I think the Republicans are on the right track. Of course, they're being, in the Senate, they're being spurred on by House Republicans who are resolute on this. And, uh, Of course, there's going to be other action items coming up as well. Next, we talk about the vote coming up on the inquiry of impeachment. That's next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith.
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday. Well, tomorrow, the House Rules Committee has marked up a markup scheduled on a resolution to formalize the impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. Now, to be clear, this is to improve the to approve the inquiry, not not impeachment. This is so they can start just doing the investigation surrounding a possible impeachment. Now, ongoing investigations by the House Judiciary Committee, Ways and Means and Oversight and Accountability Committee have shown the sources of foreign money received by the Biden family and continue to look into just how compromised President Biden might be by his involvement in his family's foreign business dealings. Now, again, this is just an impeachment inquiry, uh, but it could be uh, momentum building for a formal vote on impeachment. I don't know. Could it be? Joining us to discuss this is Congressman Greg Murphy. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and the House Committee on Administration. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of North Carolina. Dr. Murphy, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing good. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I did. I did. I hope you did, too. I was. I was out of D.C., so it was good. Uh, That's right. I was back in North Carolina. You serve on the House Ways and Means Committee overseeing a portion of this investigation. It appears that Republicans, even those who have been on the fence, are warming to the idea of allowing the inquiry to go forward just based on the volume that of evidence that has been uncovered. Is that a correct assessment? It is. And, and Tony, the real difference, just so people understand what the impeachment versus the inquiry is, it gives us certain legal um, capabilities uh, for subpoena efforts that can't be. You know, if we have now an inquiry by the entire House that's voted for something, giving a subpoena to uh, people at the DOJ, uh, they can't turn it down. It's going to be a much greater uh, force to them that they have to answer it and come back and, uh, and speak to the entire House come back before the committees of jurisdiction and answer the real questions that are needed to be answered. So so in part, that has not happened because some of these uh, requests for information have just been ignored or blocked. Is that correct? That is correct. And this, uh, if we go through and vote on the inquiry and we can move forward, again, just remember, uh, Tony, when Pelosi threw this through on President Trump twice, it had no judicial proceedings our founders wanted impeachment to be a grave, grave offense, not anything to be tossed around just because of political partisanship. 
So we're actually trying as Republicans to do it the right way. And we're bringing it forth. It's a legal proceeding. It's something now that we get an inquiry from the House. We can proceed with a lot more legitimacy than what Pelosi did. What is your sense when you consider your colleague? I mean, you don't have much, uh, no Democrats going to support this. So you're going to have to have right. uh, unanimous almost. You might be able to lose one vote, uh, maybe two among Republicans. Where, where, do, where do you think you stand? You know, Tony, it's almost hard to guess these days because uh, sometimes uh, we seem to be our own worst enemy. And some of the Republicans that are voting the way that they're voting. Um, I hope that they'll at least vote for an inquiry that we can agree to establish to look into these uh, very mind boggling uh, findings that we've had so far to push it to a legal determination that we can actually do something um, again, not not, uh, you know, as they say, putting the heart before the heart before the horse. But sure, everything, everything uh, sure leads to the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, Biden is compromised. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this, Congressman Murphy, you're you're you've been a part of these investigations. You'll be a part of this. Tell us why you think th- this needs to move forward at this time as it has been presented. Yeah, it's very interesting, Tony, because now that Hunter Biden's sweet plea deal was thrown out by a judge, thank God, this was showing that the DOJ was not really serious about what Hunter Biden's crimes were, that he should be, uh, honestly, if you and I had done things in jail. But this is Hunter Biden. And the Democrats are screaming, well, that's Hunter Biden, that's his son, that's his son, that's all we need to worry about. The true connection is that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden have absolute connectivity in their business dealings. Joe Biden knew about them. Joe Biden received money in compensation with Hunter Biden's business dealings. We know that Hunter Biden created with his brother over 20 shell companies that had absolutely no purpose other than to receive money from nefarious uh, places such as China, Ukraine, Russia. And these were funneled. Again, we've also found out that President Biden had multiple, multiple uh, alias email addresses that he was connecting and discussing with uh, with Hunter Biden's associates. The circle will be complete, and it will show that money that Hunter Biden got. Remember, the big guy got ten percent. He got uh, Joe Biden got forty thousand dollars. We will show completely that there is a full circle showing that Joe Biden sold his vice presidency, and that's uh, that's treasonous in the eyes. It should be treasonous in the eyes of the American people. Dr. Murphy, last week, the president angrily dismissed claims of his involvement as, quote, unquote, lies. Now, I've not been tracking this like you, but as I've seen, there's close to two dozen times that Joe Biden has been caught lying to the American people about this. Well, that's two dozen, about two dozen, just about this particular issue, Tony. Good Lord, you remember that great Sam Donaldson interview? I love that interview. And uh, Biden was caught lying about his, his, his law school and all these other things. He's lying point blank. Number one, he said he didn't know anything about his business dealings. That's an absolute lie. Absolutely. And then the fact that he profited um, from basically extorting money from Burisma, extorting money from China, the part of the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party, you wonder why he's been so soft on China. Mm-hmm. And so we will show this. And the fact that Joe Biden is saying lies, lies does not surprise me in the very in the least. You know, that's what concerns me most about this, uh, Dr. Murphy, is th- how this is a f- could possibly affect 
policy positions that we've taken against our foreign adversaries like China. Sure. That, Absolutely. And you know, China's our greatest adversary, and I'll even say enemy today. And, and Biden, President Biden has been so soft on this, uh, on China during his entire administration. It begs the question, why? Yeah. And I think the question will be answered when we see the money connection. Well, we will be tracking this very, very closely. Uh, Congressman Greg Murphy, always great to see you, and thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Thank you so much, Tony. God bless. All right. Merry Christmas. All right, coming up next, did the war in Gaza spark the unprecedented wave of anti-Semitism on U.S. college campuses? Or did it simply expose it? Stay tuned for more Washington Watch. We're going to talk with uh, Iris Stoll after the break on that very topic. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Well, after the presidents of Harvard, Penn, and MIT embarrassed themselves in congressional testimony last week with evasive answers about students calling for the genocide of Jews, the fallout has been swift, and I would say thankfully. The Penn president resigned on Saturday, and pressure is mounting for the Harvard president, Claudine Gay, to do the same. But is the what is what led to this? something that has been at work under the kind of festering on these college campuses for a long time? Did October 7th spark it, or did it simply expose it, this war in in Gaza? 
Well, joining me now to discuss this is Ira Stoll, editor of futureofcapitalism.com and a graduate of Harvard University. For four years, he was managing editor of Harvard's Education uh, Next, and he attributes anti-Semitism at Harvard as among the reasons he left the institution. He is also, I should say, the author of uh, one of my favorite books on Samuel Adams, who was also a graduate of Harvard. Ira, welcome to Washington Watch. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. But before we discuss what you experienced at Harvard and answering this question, is this simply exposing or did it spark what we've seen happening across the country? Tell us your reaction first to congressional testimony from the presidents of these Ivy League institutions last week. I thought the testimony at the hearing was quite disappointing. Uh, It was clear they'd been briefed ahead of time by lawyers and they had these Binders. They had a few sentences of talking points that they used to respond to virtually every question. And they didn't seem to respect the congressmen who were asking them the questions. They, they, they seemed almost annoyed to have to be there as if, as if they were more important than the congresspeople. Now, Ira, you've been writing about this recently, and you said, look, you can replace the, uh, the, the president of, in particular in Harvard, but it's going to take more than that. So was what we've seen happening, what we've witnessed on college campuses across the United States, and I guess I'm going to focus on the United States, since the war in Gaza began, it, did that spark that anti-Semitism or did it simply expose it? Well, these campuses, particularly the so-called elite ones, have such a profound ideological tilt. And that was one of the things that the congressmen were asking the presidents about. These, uh, they were asking about data about the ideological balance of the faculty members. And studies have shown that, you know, maybe one to five percent or maybe 10 percent of the Harvard faculty or even students are conservative or Republican. And the rest are far left, progressive, liberal. You look at campaign contributions, you can survey them and ask them. And the students are the same way. And so it's just this far left atmosphere. And we've seen that spill over into harsh anti-Israel views and um, to the point of like sympathizing with the horrible terrorist attacks of October 7th. and it's been building for a long time. I think the, the students at these colleges are getting the bad ideas from the grown-ups, from the faculty members. And so the protests that broke out or the statements, the absurd statements we saw after October 7th, blaming Israel, uh, Israelis for their own uh, basically murder and rape and beheading uh, the Harvard student organizations put out this statement that that was all Israel's fault. And, you know, there are professors, Harvard tenured professors, uh, speaking at their rallies. And, and if you go to the, the events that the university is staging to try to put this in, in uh, academic context, you're getting the same message about so-called settler colonialism even though the Israelis, uh, the Jews have been in that land, as as your uh, listeners and viewers know, since biblical times. Um, 
you know, it, it's just it's just very disheartening and disappointing, and it's been building for a long time. So, so Ira, how can our universities find their way forward on this topic? Is it, is it hopeless? Uh, is there going to be a course correction? What needs to be done? Well, I'm a big believer in markets, uh, and luckily, um, the United States has a fairly robust competitive market for higher education. So we've seen after October 7th, a statement, uh, there was a joint statement from Yeshiva University and Notre Dame uh, saying, and Brandeis saying we stand with Israel. And um, Hillsdale College had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying, you know, basically the Jewish families, your children are safe here. Um, so I think um, people who care about this stuff may look elsewhere than the Ivy League. They may go to the South, to public colleges and universities. And also, you know, there are constituencies applying pressure, alumni, Congress. Um, the faculty don't want any outside pressure. They, right. don't, they don't want any grown-up supervision at all. But uh, at some point, trustees and government are going to have to assert themselves or, or we'll just see these trends continue. Well, I, I hope, I, I think you're right. There's there's different levels. I, the first level, I think, is is the free markets. And I think people should respond because I think this is a tip of the iceberg of the ideological descent of higher education. And so we should go send our kids elsewhere. Ira, we're out of time, but always great to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us today and have a Merry Christmas. Our pleasure. Happy Hanukkah to you. Yes. All right, folks, don't go away. Coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And uh, by the way, let me give you that capital switchboard number again because you're going to need it this week. It's going to be a busy week as Congress tries to wrap up business. 202-224-3121. We're going to talk here in a moment about the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, The conference committee report came back last week, stripping out most of the conservative provisions put in this past summer by the House, including the issue of facilitating or providing transportation, what they call abortion travel, for members of the military. Again, it intertwines or intertangles Americans in the funding of abortion. That was taken out, as well as uh, surgeries, transgender surgeries. That was taken out. Um, Republicans were accused of politicizing the NDAA when they were simply trying to bring it back to where it was before. The Biden administration came in and unilaterally put all of these crazy things in there. So, but before I do that, I, I, we do have some folks, we have some of our team members standing by to take your calls as we uh, move toward the end of the year. This is when nonprofits like ourselves here at the Family Research Council, which is the sponsor of Washington Watch, we receive no government money. We're funded strictly by folks like you across this country who care about this country and want to know what's going on. And that's why we bring you newsmakers directly, unfiltered by the legacy media with clear action items on what you can do to make a difference. Our republic, as I say frequently, is not made for spectators. It was made for participants. And we need you to be on the field protecting our republic. So we have uh, some friends that have put forward a challenge match, and your gift will be doubled between now and December 31st. So please partner with us if you'd like to do so. In fact, for uh, any gift over $30, we'll send you our new Stand on the Word journal to take advantage of this limited-time opportunity. Give one of our team members a call, 800-225-4008. They're standing by waiting for you to call them and say, Merry Christmas, 800-225-4008. Well, last week on Washington Watch, uh, I discussed at length the National Defense Authorization Act and how its current version, as I said earlier, waters down the, ter- the terrific language that the House put in back in July. Now, uh, there's opposition building to the NDAA in the House. 
But it's not so much over those issues I just mentioned as it is extending the authorization of Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA. And this has, this has garnered a lot of opposition. In fact, some reports are saying that at least 50, as of right now, are opposed as Republicans. Now, Section 702 opens the door for warrantless backdoor searches of Americans' electronic communications. Now, why has such important legislation been tagged uh, and added to the annual must-pass NDAA after, um, you know, we work through the NDA and all of a sudden this language is here? What is it, what does the FISA provisions do? How have they been misused? And can they be fixed? Joining me to discuss this is uh, Ken Kulkowski, a former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and a former special counsel in the White House's Office of Management and Budget. He has also litigated constitutional cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. So, Ken, walk us through, number one, the history of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, and, and and how it came about. Well, this all started uh, when, with evolving technologies, uh, the issue is that the Constitution draws a distinction between law enforcement on one side and military, and which includes intelligence activities on the other. Uh, it's a distinction between law enforcement and national security. Uh, law enforcement is the domain of domestic policy. Uh, national security, whether it's military or whether it's diplomacy or whether that's the CIA, uh, all of that belongs in the realm of foreign policy. And that balances the fact that on one hand, the framers of our Constitution and, you know, for 200 years, statesmen from every political party and in all branches of government, have understood that the world is a dangerous place. You know, it's 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 a broken place. Uh, and um, but at the same time, domestically, uh, we need a free society, one where the presumption is of liberty, where we're maximizing uh, the rights and liberties of American citizens. And so, FISA strikes a balance there in terms of well, what about when you have national security needs? but they take place on U.S. soil. Like what happens if you have a foreigner who is on U.S. soil, whether it's a student visa or they're a guest or they claim to be on vacation or whatever. So it's a matter of how we bring these very serious surveillance capabilities and exercise them on U.S. soil in a way that does not cross the lines of constitutional protection that American citizens have. So, I mean, this has become complicated, as you mentioned, because of technology. But I mean, we—I think this goes back to uh, to 1978 when FISA was first a approved. But se Section 702, again, looking to technology, kind of opens a back door for searches of Americans. So, how how has that jeopardized this Fourth Amendment against search and seizure? Well, re recent studies, uh, as uh, as lawmakers have looked into this, uh, they found out that there have been literally hundreds of thousands, not hundreds or thousands, but hundreds of thousands 
of FISA search warrants that have been executed on uh, Americans without a search warrant. And that has set off alarms all over, uh, it really on both sides of the aisle, because the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, part of our Bill of Rights, was to do away with the British practice of what are called general warrants, meaning general search warrants. And that was just that if, if the government was unhappy with someone in Great Britain, they could just say, go search that guy's house until you find evidence of a crime. Uh, and there were specific instances of abuses in the mid 1700s where this was all over the radar screen of the framers of our constitution. And so that is why they put in the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution a requirement that uh, that search warrants uh, must only be issued if people can swear out specific facts showing probable cause that executing that warrant would uh, unveil uh, evidence of a crime. And it had to be specific rather than general. It had to be specific in what the crime was and what sort of stuff they're looking for precisely. And that if you couldn't get a warrant, if, if, if law enforcement could not swear those things out before a judge and get him to sign a warrant, then you could not invade that person's house or papers uh, or, or search their person. Uh, and invade their privacy. So, so it's a fundamental right under the U.S. Constitution. So, Ken, what is happening under Section 702 of FISA, if if I'm not mistaken, is that technology... Yeah, well, it, yes, go ahead. Please. Technology is allowing the, the government to, to, to comb through this data without a warrant and without the individuals actually knowing that the government is looking at it. And if they happen to find something, then they can act upon it. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Because otherwise, under the normal uh, criminal justice system, uh, if if uh, if government agents seize information about you that they couldn't have gotten without a warrant, uh, that information cannot be used against you uh, in court. So, I mean, this is a robust right. And in fact, and that's where we see the proposed reforms that are being recommended and debated right now as to whether to keep FISA the way it is whether to reform it a little bit, tinkering around the edges with it, or as a bipartisan group of lawmakers voted out just in the past few days, including some of the most conservative members of Congress teaming up, believe it or not, with some of the most liberal members in Congress seeking to bring these constitutional protections into the FISA process. So FISA actually does have a... A very important national security component when it's utilized under the restrictions that we're talking about protecting American citizens, correct? Given the what's happening internationally with terrorism and the threats to the United States? Yes, absolutely. The world's the world's a dangerous place. Uh, you know, th there's sin in the world. Of course, we talk about that all the time uh, on your show. So especially for people with a biblical worldview, but also just patriotic Americans, uh, you know, who might not even be of a particular faith. It's just an understanding that the world is a dangerous place. And so we do need tools to be able to protect Americans. We just need them to be used properly. And what's being proposed are guidelines, restrictions that bring this back, as I understand it, to its initial 
uh, purpose and function which protects the fundamental rights of Americans. Is that is that accurate? It, that's my understanding, Tony. Yes, we're, we're talking about a package of reforms that was just voted out of the House Judiciary Committee by a vote of 35 to 2. I mean, championed by a, a great American and a great friend of this show, Chairman Jim Jordan uh, of Ohio, but with liberal Democrats joining on to this package as well, only two members, both of them Democrats, voted against the reforms. Aside from that, Republicans and Democrats all voted for this, which, among other things, would require a search warrant for 702 searches with a couple uh, uh, exceptions, like if there is an imminent threat of death or bodily harm, or if there's an imminent threat of like computer spyware, like whether it's Iranian or whatever malware in a computer system, that you have a couple escape valves there to be able to act in urgent emergencies. But if it's not an urgent emergency, then the cops need to take it to a judge, tell them what they've got and be able to swear to those facts. And then the, a judge makes a decision as to whether there is probable cause that this would actually uncover evidence of a crime, as the Constitution commands. All right. So, Ken Kulkowski, that, that brings us to the NDAA and this language being attached to the NDAA. Now, m- my understanding is it's been attached. It's an extension that carries it over into the, the spring because there was a sense there might not be enough time to get this accomplished in the standalone bill that you just talked about by the end of the year which the current authorization expires on. So does the language in the NDAA do anything more than just a, extend this for a few months? Well, in my understanding is that this is a, a fluid and evolving situation right now. I mean, I know that the bill text is out, but what I've heard as recently as the past two hours is that before the NDAA comes to a vote, uh, that, that there could even be the proponents of different types of performance having the chance to argue it out and that there might be a, a, a last minute modification of the language possibly to incorporate uh, these reforms. And I'm, I'm told that there are lawmakers pushing hard to make that happen, because if this is going to be reauthorized, uh, that they, they want to do it right. Well, I would sense that I would think that that probably has to happen, given the opposition that is present to a plain reauthorization of this language, even if it's an extension uh, just for a few more months because of the abuses that have how it's been abused by this by the Biden administration. That's right. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of search warrants conducted by the federal government against American citizens where no judge ever said that there was probable cause that it would show an indica- uh, an indicator uh, of a crime. And there's different reform packages out there. But but I, I think um, for those who support uh, Chairman Jordan's reforms, they point out that even under some of these other reforms, uh, the government could still search uh, uh, through Wi-Fi if you're on a public Wi-Fi network. So if someone goes to Starbucks or McDonald's or a hotel, and they are on a, a Wi-Fi network that's not their own private home network, that even then you are outside the protections uh, of, uh, of, of this warrant requirement. And of course, so many of your listeners, as they go th- about their daily lives, I mean, how often are they in places where they're accessing right. public Wi-Fi? Well, in, in, in and Fies- the idea would be you could lose 
protections in a situation like that. Well, wasn't this in part what they used to go after President Trump when he was a candidate? It's, you know, when the facts are still coming out on that, but we have seen alarming, uh, alarming abuses from several years ago through stories that we've all, of course, you know, heard them and we've gone through the election campaign. And now, of course, they're being discussed even again about uh, warrantless searches that were going on from individuals who worked in the Trump administration or on the former president's campaign. Yeah, I just think we've got to be very, very careful in what type of power we give to our government. And these fundamental rights that our founders recognized, they need to be protected at all costs because they're there for a reason. Ken Klukowski, thanks so much for joining us. Great to see you. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much, Tony. Merry Christmas to you. All right, folks, uh, another action item for you. Um, I do think it's necessary. I've had the conversations with the Intelligence Committee chairman and uh, and the speaker about this. I do think there is a national security concern here, but it needs very, very, very bright lines of uh, guidance because I do not trust this federal government at all. All right, folks, we're out of time for today, but Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow, and I hope you will as well. Until then, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where it says when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 